Welcome to the HTH Church Podcast. We are a church in the heart of Hastings whose desire is to build communities of people who are so passionate about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and joining in with what Jesus is doing, that lives, families, and communities are changed and transformed one at a time. On this podcast, you can keep up to date with the latest talks from our Sunday services, as well as additional bonus episodes, which include conversations, interviews, devotions, and much more. If you'd like to find out more about the church, you can visit our website, hthchurch.org. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it's a huge privilege uh, to be asked to speak to you uh, this morning, and one that I'm greeted with uh, great excitement, but also um, fear. Um, I was asked uh, if I would speak on a psalm, any psalm. Of the 150, which psalm do you choose? And have you got anything to say on them anyway? Well, I got a sense that um, I was supposed to be speaking on Psalm 139. So I thought in sort of, um, yeah, slightly nervous, like, God, can you just confirm that this is the psalm that you wanted me to be speaking on? It was a half-hearted prayer. I didn't expect anything from it, and I really sort of forgot that I had said the, the prayer Anyway, um, some of you know that uh, we keep a, sh- a few sheep at home, outside, not, not indoors. And um, some friends of ours were struggling with some orphan lambs that they had. And some of you will know when lambs are born, the first thing that happens, or one of the first things that happens, is they get the number, they get a number of their mother sprayed on the side of their, on their side, so you can identify which lamb goes with the mum. Anyway, these orphan lambs arrived at ours, um, or with their numbers on. And one of them was called David. And this number was 139. So um, (laughs) I took great comfort that God was speaking to me through this rather pathetic-looking lamb. And there was lots of uh, parallels that I felt that God wanted to talk to me about, but that's for another day. Anyway, so 139 is where we are. Um, And I really, I want to tell that story uh, a, it just relaxes me slightly, and you um, perhaps like me slightly more. Um, but it's not to endorse this talk. It's just to remind us that when we step out and make ourselves slightly vulnerable for God, he, uh, he's kind to us. Um, 139, as I said, is quite a long psalm, but I want to break it down into four parts. And each part contains six verses. I know that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, So the first part is that he knows me, or he knows you, that he surrounds you, that he has made you, and our response to that. So it's four parts, and we'll just go through those those four parts and then see where where we go. Um, So the first part, how he knows me. This is um, verses uh, one to six. So, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You comprehend my path and my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Um, there's a great emphasis uh, to get to know God better. 
And why not? There's a longing in our hearts that we might know him, know him more in our worship, in our prayer, in our Bible study, and in the way we live our lives. We really want to, to get to know God better. And the, the famous A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You will always live in response to your answer to that question. Suez Lewis didn't argue with that, but he said it was secondary. The most important question, the most important question is, how does God think of us? It's not only more important, but it's of infinite importance. In fact, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. So the opening of this very intimate psalm starts from the place that you are known. Completely holy, all of you. He knows your thoughts, your motivations, everything. And in case we need reminding, it's the God that was and is and is to come. He was before everything. He holds all things. He's in all things. And he sustains all life. It's the God that fills the earth with his glory. It's what caused Isaiah the prophet to say, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Almighty. Or Peter, when he first met Jesus, falling on his knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You see, this God that knows us, knows us completely holy, all our being is a holy God. He knows you, and he is holy. I remember um, in the mid-90s, that's quite uh, some time ago, um, being in a a service at Holy Trinity Brompton. And um, the vicar there, Sandy Miller, was, was on stage during the worship session, and I remember I was probably sitting where, where Sam is sitting, actually. And as I was worshipping, Sandy was standing on the stage. And I just got this sense that he could see me completely and wholly. He saw me, just saw me just, well, naked, but just completely naked. And I felt really uncomfortable about it. When I say naked, I don't, I mean, I don't mean, you know, you get what I'm saying. So anyway, I sort of closed my eyes, feeling quite comfortable about uncomfortable, but closed my eyes and carried on worshipping. Unbeknown to me, Sandy had got down off the stage and had climbed over three rows of chairs, and the next thing I was aware of, this person with his hand on my shoulder, and he was praying for me. I was utterly terrified. God is holy, but he knows us, and he's coming after us. So the psalm starts not from a place of trying to attain or know God, but rather you are known. Holy, completely, thoughts, ambitions, insecurities, pride, you know it all. 
And so perhaps when we approach God, the question rather than how can I know God becomes how can I let myself be known by him? Perhaps not how can I find God, but how can I let myself be found? Perhaps not how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved? You see, I think for all of us, there is a longing more than anything else to be known. I mean, really known. And yet this is what we fear more than anything else. That fear that if you really knew me, if you really knew what was going on in my, in my thought life, in my heart, if you really knew me, you would reject me. So what we tend to do is we put on a mask, something that makes me a little bit more acceptable to the way that you will see me, something that will make me feel more comfortable about who I am because I don't trust the God that knows me, loves me, is enough. So that's part one, you are known. Part two, he surrounds me. So this is verses um, 6 to 12. Or sorry, 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and, the, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be lighter about me, even the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. The psalm goes on to remind us that he is always with us. There is nowhere there God is not. God does not depart from us regardless of where we are. There isn't anywhere that he isn't or present. He surrounds us. Revelation 4 reminds us that he created all things and by his will you were created in him. You, and, in you, and in him, sorry, you, you have your being, or if you like, your state of existing. Our very, our very lives are sustained by God. I'm alive. I'm alive. He sustains us. He sustains us. Another one. He holds all things. So, where we, so regardless of where we go physically or in our thought life, he's there. In fact, I don't know about you, but when I mess up, I'm more aware of God's grace than when I strive to live a righteous life by my own means. He knows us completely and surrounds us. Uh, just to enforce this, reinforce this, there's a lovely story about Eugene Peterson that you, you may have heard, but it was revealed at his funeral by his son, Leif. And this is, Leif, this is what Leif said at his funeral about his dad. For 50 years, you would steal into my room at night and whisper softly to my sleeping head. It's the same message over and over 
again. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. This may be a prayer you would like to have whispered over you today. Or maybe it's a prayer that you want to take for friends and family. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. That's part two. Part three, how God made me. This is 13 to 18. For you formed me in my inner inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will, prom- I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I want to focus on uh, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body, is the NIV. But this version we're looking at today says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. I don't know whether you've tried to see something that's unformed. It's, uh, it's, a, slight, it's a slight sort of, it's an odd one. But um, this, for me, speaks of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about being made in and reflecting God's image or nature. We tend to think that we form our identity as we begin to uh, know ourselves. We find out that we're particularly good at sport, and so we have a bit more of an identity as a sports person. Or we... um, you know, we find that we're a risk taker, so we, we, we kind of assume an, more of an identity as somebody who t- likes taking risks, or, or maybe we were particularly gifted as a mathematician or a scientist. Or, so as we begin to, begin to under, understand ourselves, so we form an identity based on perhaps what we're good at, what we enjoy doing. But what this psalm says is that before you succeeded or failed, before you became something or nothing, before you proved them right or wrong, before you stood on your shaky legs or crumpled in shame, before all of that, at the very core created in the image and likeness of God, is our substance. With the print of God's thumb still on it, it's the most essential part of who we are. Part four is... um, 
God know my heart. And it's, it's, I'd love to speak to, to David, who probably wrote this psalm, um, just why he went, why he did verses 19 to 22. There's a lovely flow to the psalm. Let's just, let's just keep in that flow, but no. 19 to 22, he has to put in. I don't know why. He does it on other psalms as well. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. I'm not going to speak... uh, directly into those but all I would say that I was comforted that 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 C.S. Lewis when he read Psalm 19 that says oh that you would slay the wicked O God depart from me therefore you bloodthirsty men said as if it were surprising that such a simple remedy for human ills had not occurred to the almighty I think I think what David is feeling is injustice I think he's feeling injustice but then uh, the psalm goes on, and when we look at the first three sections of this psalm, um, is reminding us, or set, settling into, how God sees things. We are passive. We're simply realigning who we are in relation to God. To, par- to paraphrase, he knows us, surrounds us, and formed us. And the final section of the psalm is active. If you like, it's a response to the first three parts. God, test me. Know my heart. Sorry, I just lost my place. Yeah, so God, test me. Know my heart. Are there any anxious ways in me? In other words, are there areas where I'm not trusting you? Where I'm taking matters into my own hands? Not sure if, I'm going to come, not sure if you're going to come through for me. So this, isn't, this is much more about our actions. This goes much deeper. It goes into the heart of the matter. See, our hearts, if you like, are this soil for the fruit, which is our actions. So our actions can seem very honourable, but actually our hearts can be really, really in a bad place. And spending time in these psalms, finding ourselves known, surrounded, loved, and resting in the place It's a natural question. Is there any part of me that isn't yours? Is there any part of me that isn't trusting that you, God, are who you say you are? Or indeed trusting you that I am who you say that I am? You see, our modern Western world doesn't encourage space to ask these questions. In fact, our society is set on a performance model to value worth. The most uh, common asked question is still, what do you do? It's based in performance. We still think that our busyness is a measure of our personal significance. And I'm sorry, but ever greater levels of efficiency won't meet the longing of your heart to be known and loved for who you are. I struggle with this, I really do. The heart's can be so deceptive. I am forever trying to drum up my own value. How significant this talk is matters way too much to me. So how do we know if our hearts are in a good place? How do we know whether our actions are coming from a heart that is in a good place with God or not? 
Well, I've, um, there's a few tests that work for me, and I wonder um, if they're of any use to you. You will probably have others. But um, if I'm challenged, if somebody challenges me, is my first response to go on the defensive? Or am I open to the idea that I've got something to learn? How much time am I investing in the things that I care about? In other words, am I caring about the things that I care about? How present am I? How well do I listen to others? I mean, really listen. Not just long enough so I can have my say. Do I argue my case or build a case against others in my head without speaking to them? And the last one, and this is, this is a biggie, but what part does gratitude play in my life? <gasps> another gift. <sighs> and another. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. It's all a gift. What part does gratitude play in my life? So what can appear to be a good thing on the surface can be rooted in a rotten place in our hearts. So God, know our hearts and see if there is anything that isn't given over to you, isn't trusting you, and lead me in that way. Um, I want to close with some words by uh, Thomas Merton, and it's called To Be Lost in God. And I think it summarizes this psalm or what I've been trying to say about it. to be lost in God. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I am true to the concept God utters in me, if I am true to the thought I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself, and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the HDH Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with someone you think would appreciate it? And be sure to subscribe to our channel to get notified when new episodes are published. Thanks again for listening and we hope you have a great day.